Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. I remember him coming in at the middle, in the middle of the night when I woke up from a nightmare and I'm crying and he would come hold his hand over my mouth and my nose so tightly I could not breathe. And I thought he, I was going to suffocate and I couldn't tell him that I couldn't breathe, but I, I don't think he was conscious of what he was doing totally. He just had such a hot temper that he would get triggered by my crying. And then he would come in and just try to silence me. So I disassociated and learned how to, then my body would just go limp. And then he would stop doing that. So I, you know, my, my fight, flight or freeze was, you know, survival mechanisms were full in force. Like I was always on alert and I could tell if anybody in the room was getting upset or angry and I was hyper vigilant about anybody having an upset because I never knew how far it was going to go. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you, what makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story, what happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. 
Hello, my beautiful friends. Was your family dysfunctional or normal? Sometimes our normal is dysfunctional and we don't figure that out until much later when we realize what normal actually looks like. Take a look at my blog post, The Six Signs of a Dysfunctional Family. The link is in the show notes. Lynetta and Mark are my guests this week and they are the soulmate coaches and they work with you to help you to find your soulmate. Both Lynetta and Mark had significant trauma growing up and have spent years healing and working on themselves. They teach that the key to finding your soulmate is to heal the triggers, stories and trauma that are keeping you in a holding pattern in relationships so that you can move on and grow and thrive and find your life partner. Please join me now for my chat with the Soulmate Coaches. Welcome to the How My Parents Raised Me podcast, Mark and Lynetta. You are the Soulmate Coaches and you're helping people to clear their past relationship hurts so that they can find their soulmate. There are so many humans totally unconscious to the trauma they hold from childhood. And of course, that trauma comes along with us into our relationships. And with half of marriages failing, it's definitely very important work that you're both doing. You both experienced trauma in your own childhoods that has affected your past relationships. Lynetta, can you tell me about the dynamic between you and your mum and dad? What was that like growing up? Well, with my mom, she was a stay-at-home mom. And I remember her doing a lot of cooking and cleaning and sewing. She sewed all our clothes and liked she liked to make matching dresses. But I found out that as I grew up later, that really I was her little doll. Mm -hmm. You know, she really, she had me to try to fill a void within herself. Mm. And she wanted me to be her little like be with her for the rest of her life like she would as I was growing up she would say I want our family to live together you know like Dallas and Dynasty do you remember those shows yeah <laughs> where all the kids lived together that was her dream and I inside I would like recoil at that idea I'm like no I'm not living with you forever <laughs> you know mm. And she kept me, wanted to keep me protected in this religion that she didn't want me to associate with anybody outside of our church. And so it was very strict and I was confined just to associate with those in that it was Jehovah's Witness. So it was very strict and I never had my own, like was allowed to have my own views. I was always told what to believe. Mm -hmm. And then with my father, he was a violent man. So he would have these rage out. He would like break out into a rage. His eyes would go black and he wouldn't even remember what had happened. So he had trauma from his childhood that was unresolved and his anger and rage unleashed on us kids at times. And you never knew when it was coming. So I was very, I had a high emotional intelligence and I would watch for his gestures to see if he was angry, if he started walking really hard, I could hear him come down the hallway to my room. And if I heard these stomping feet, I would, my whole body would just tremble with fear. I remember him coming in at the middle in the middle of the night when I woke up from a nightmare and I'm crying and he would come hold his hand over my mouth and my nose so tightly I could not breathe and I thought he, I was going to suffocate and I couldn't tell him that I couldn't breathe but I, I don't think he was conscious of what he was doing totally he just had such a hot temper that he would get triggered by my crying and then he would come in and just try to silence me. So I disassociated and learned how to, then my body would just go limp and then he would stop doing that. So I, you know, my, my fight, flight or freeze 
was, you know, survival mechanisms were full in force. Like I was always on alert and I could tell if anybody in the room was getting upset or angry and I was hyper vigilant about anybody having an upset because I never knew how far it was going to go. So that affected me later on mm. in life. Yeah, absolutely. And that's terrifying, isn't it? Like for a little mm. kid to, I mean, first of all, you're not allowed to express any emotion. And and when you do cry out, somebody literally physically silences you. It's, yeah, that's a, a massive trauma for a, a little girl to to deal with. What? How did that play out as an adult? What sort of coping mechanisms or what sort of things were you well, I- turning to? I was terrified at night. That was mostly the most terrifying time. So I would need a man to be in bed with me. And I wasn't very selective. I usually chose for through my 20s and my 30s, I chose men that were mirroring my parents. Mm. It felt like home. You know, it was, yeah. I'm like, oh, it feels like your home. Well, my home life was just like that. It was chaotic. It was... You know, so I, although I could sleep at night because they were laying next to me, but the daytime was a nightmare living with Mm. them. So I'm attracting unhealthy people, toxic people in my life, and yet needing to have that body next to me because if there was somebody right next to me, I could just calm, like my whole body would calm down and I I felt safe. Mm. And I usually wanted to choose these big buff guys, you know, that that they're they they are protectors you know they that's what it looked like you know and and later on I found out oh that's because I thought that they'd protect me but they weren't they weren't men that loved themselves and they had trauma in their background so it actually wasn't safe to be with them either so Mm -hmm. it kept me in that cycle which is what happens when you have you know, multi-generational trauma is it keeps getting passed on and you attract partners who also will pass on that. And then you have children and you pass it on down to them. So, you know, the cycle keeps going and keeps going until you finally come to this has to stop. And I came Mm. to my knees and it, it had to come to a stop. Mm. Yeah. And Was there some homelessness in your story? Yes, yes. I actually lived for a while on the streets and I was a heroin addict. So I was doing heroin, cocaine for about three years because the man I was with was an addict and I really wanted to be with him. So I'm like, I have to use the drug he's using to be with him. So, so we were living out of the car and he would go to prison every few months. And then I'd be stuck by myself living out of my car. I went to jail through that for 60 days, went to a 30 day rehab and got out and started going to 12 step recovery meetings. Wow. That's a lot, isn't it? And so you got yourself through those times at what point did you sort of realize that you needed to change things for yourself well I think this well and this is in my book the story Mm -hmm. of when my I'm in jail and my son comes he's like six years old and he comes to visit me with my mom and it's behind glass and there's a phone that you have to pick up and he says well mom why don't you just walk around and come home with us Mm. and I said I can't I'm locked up in here he hung up the phone and wouldn't speak to me for the rest of the time he was so angry and I went back to my bunk crying and I saw his picture because he had mailed me a, a, a drawing that he had that he loves me and all that and I just bawled my eyes out and I said this is enough I'm not going to hang out with men like this anymore because all it's going to do is I'm going to end up in jail and I can't be with the man anyway, you know, and I can't take care of my son. 
So I knew when I got out of jail and rehab that I would have to change my life. And I didn't know how, but I knew that they were going to put me through a rehab and the rehab started me down the 12 step, 12 steps of recovery for Narcotics mm. Anonymous. And they have meetings that I could go to and I got a sponsor that would work with me. So, and, and once the sponsor told me that I could borrow their God and fire my God, cause my God didn't work. And I was like, that's brilliant. <laughs> so I fired my God and I borrowed hers until I could get one of my own. That's one of their sayings. And I think that's the most brilliant thing that they do in the 12 step recovery program is mm -hmm. having other addicts help heal other addicts and giving them a spiritual path if they don't have one of their own. Yeah. Wow. What a story. And it really is about coming to a point where you start being conscious of what's actually going on. Right. I mean, we just live so many years just doing the the way that it's always been done in our families and, and reacting. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, how do I actually change this? It's it's such an important moment in our lives. And Mark, can you give us a, an insight into what was happening for you growing up? Yeah, my household was somewhat similar in that my dad also could get into a rage. And, and in fact, I also became hypervigilant. And I'd also be listening for those steps. <laughs> I could totally relate to that. Yeah. And it's funny because even though I've done a lot of work, you know, if there's like a noise at night, like outside our RV, you know, I'll be like, what was that? You know, it's like, there's still remnants in the body. And I'm like 64 years old now, and I've done tons of work, but there's just like, you know, I can still get startled, mm. you know, from that background. For me, I kind of took that as a, you know, obviously we all want to be safe. So I decided I needed to learn how to be safe in the world. So one of the things I ended up studying was literally all the dangerous things in the world. You know, like where is it likely to be dangerous in an earthquake or a tornado? what are all the poisonous plants and animals and snakes? And it's like, I literally studied all the dangers in the world. So I'd know what to avoid and how to deal with things. Mm. And I, I also eventually learned now my earlier background, partly because of what happened with my family, but also some bullying that went on in school is I kind of became a hermit especially in like intermediate school and part of high school. And I really didn't want to be around people at all. And in fact, I even had this sense. I remember as a kid that I felt like, you know, we had one of those glass coffee tables and I almost felt like, you know, if I could just like roll into a ball under the coffee table and say to the world, like, leave me alone, I'd be good, you mm -hmm. know? So so for me, it's been like a lifelong process of coming out. And now, you know, we've had lots and lots of trainings, both of us. In fact, when we met, we found out we had like five or six major trainings the same, which I'd never met anybody like that. And some of them teach you how to be with other people, even if they're like angry, for example. So, you know, now I have no problems being with people whatsoever, you know, because of all the techniques that I've learned. But it's been a long process of, you know, figuring all this out and learning this. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? I, I feel like most people have a degree of trauma from growing up and it's just as simple as having one person in your family that can't regulate their own emotions, mm -hmm. that just changes everything for their kids, you know, and just, just that hypervigilance. And I totally and utterly relate to that a hundred percent. Right. But the relationships we see around us as kids, you know, our parents, that really does become like a, a model for us. Lynetta, yeah. with your parents, what, what was being essentially, how was love modeled to you as a child? Mm. Well, my dad would tease 
he would play these little games and tease and he was kind of rough in his play. So he would do Indian burns. He would tickle me until it was painful, you know, but to me, that was my dad, like, when I would go tell my mom that that hurt and she'd say, Ron, stop. And, you know, and then I would go back to him and she said, well, you keep going back to him because he wouldn't stop. He just kept playing that way. He was rough, you know, and, mm. and she said, well, you must like it. Eventually she told me you must like it. So then I was like, oh, OK, I guess I like it. Mm. And then I got that I, I like the attention. So whether I whether it was good attention or bad attention, I was getting attention. Mm. So I didn't want him to stop playing with me. And he'd say, well, if you're going to be a poor sport, then I'm not going to play with you. So I had to make a decision. I decided to, okay, I'll learn how to, to be with the way he plays and, you know, take the teasing and the sarcasm and, and then to be to be to get now the only way it seemed like I could get into my mom's world was with food she loved food or clothes and going shopping and and buying clothes so those were the ways that I felt a come you know some camaraderie how do you say camaraderie camaraderie with her is to is to go shopping with her and get clothes or through food bonding. She wanted us to go into the church was important to her. So all of us would go three times a week and she, she took comfort in that. And I could feel that. So I found the ways to, to really make, have my mom, I wanted her to be happy. So I did my best to be good in that religion. And, you know, I bake, I was the baker. So I made the fudge and the brownies and cakes and hearing everyone enjoy the food that I made was one way that I felt loved. And I also enjoyed that my mom made these beautiful clothes and she bought me beautiful clothes. So, and when I was depressed, she would take me shopping. So I took it that love was food, shopping, going to this church and getting teased and played with rough by my dad. Yeah, it's so interesting when you see what happens to us, just the way that love's shown. And and your dad, that was probably the only way that he could connect with you, I suppose, you know, because a lot of men, especially in days gone by, they weren't able to show their emotion in any way. Mm. They don't say I love you and and hug you gently. It's like I need to do something (laughs) to connect with you. So I'm just going to kind of bash you around a little bit yeah <laughs> give, yeah torture's give, good yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting isn't yeah. it uh, mark what was going on in your family that you sort of took as as love yeah actually before we get to that i want to elaborate mm. on one thing lynetta said the way her dad played these games with her regarding touch in particular could you just elaborate on that because i i want to talk just for a moment okay there was this touch (laughs) game that he would do he'd say we're gonna do the soft touch game so he showed me you just touch really soft and whoever touches the softest wins so he touched me real soft and then i would touch him real soft and then he touched me real soft and then I touched him soft and then wham, he'd hit me hard and he'd go, I lose. Oh, and he'd wow. laugh. So, uh, wow. so I got this thing around touch that I don't really trust, especially soft touch. Yeah. Cause I'm like, Oh, the wham is going to come, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Now the reason I wanted her to share that is because I love to caress you know, and it's like, I'll just, you know, run my hands all over her body. The first couple of years when we were together, if I started to touch her lightly, like within a few seconds, she'd go like, stop it. You're killing me. You know, wow. she c- literally couldn't tolerate that because mm-hmm. it, it, it reminded her of what her dad would do. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. took years. So I learned I had to like hold her firmly without moving. Like that's her way. Like she likes to be like really held tightly without Mm. movement and don't move and don't move you know Mm. so we found a way to work it but it literally took years and I had to like withhold one of the ways I really love to share intimacy because she was just tortured as a child Mm. and it took that long to get it out of Mm. her system I mean now we're good 
Now, now she does like it. I can do it. Or at least yeah. tolerate it. Right. All righty. So back to your question again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just how love how did... was modeled to you. Yeah. Uh, okay. So one way my family was different was my mom did give me loving touch. Like I remember as mm, probably intermediate school, high school, I'd actually like put my head in her lap and we would talk and she'd like rub my head gently with her fingers or whatever. And that I actually really loved. So in fact, that was probably one of her gifts. My dad, it's funny, you know, I I don't think I've ever really asked myself that question that way. Like, how did I feel loved by my dad? You know, on a certain level, I'd probably say I mostly didn't. Mm. Because I remember we grew up nominally Jewish, not very involved. And then in high school, I had a teacher who kind of turned me on to getting more involved. And at one point, I remember I said to myself, as I became more religious, you know, starting in high school and then college and then afterwards. And I, I remember literally saying to myself, well, if I, if my dad won't love me, maybe God will. So what do I need to do or learn so God will love me? So in fact, after college, I did Jewish studies full-time for eight years, literally in Los Angeles, New York, and Jerusalem, and actually got ordained as a rabbi because I wanted to know what do I need to do to be loved by God? But interestingly enough, after eight years of study, I found I really hadn't gotten the answers I was looking for. So I didn't end up practicing as a rabbi. Wow. Wow. So you didn't feel like you got the answers after all that time. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But I did continue on a spiritual journey for the next 20, 30 years. And eventually I really did get answers to the, the big spiritual questions, who are we? Why are we here? What is God or creator like? Is there anything we're supposed to do here? I really did get answers that were soul satisfying, if you will. Mm. And in fact, I wrote a book, Three Doors to the Soul, about my journey to spirituality, starting you know with religion, religion and science, and how I kind of found my answers, at least. Yeah, so, I mean, it's so clear, isn't it, that we come out of our childhoods with so much damage around love and and receiving love. And so what do you think it was, Mark, about your previous relationships that didn't allow those to be like a soulmate relationship? Well, my models were not good. My mom and dad did fight. My dad was really the dictator in the house. I mean, literally his word was law. And Mm -hmm. if you argued with him, you were going to end up getting hit. That's just the way it was, you know? And eventually my mom, they, both my parents worked and my mom, I remember in my teen years started to assert some independence, like wanting to spend some of the money that she brought home. And I remember at one time, my dad got so angry because he had kind of managed all that, that he actually started to hit my mom, which he had never done. And at that point, I actually stood up to him, like literally went toe to toe and he stopped, but we almost came to blows. Like I was prepared for that. You know, I was old enough, you know, that I didn't want that. So it was not, and there was one point they were considering getting divorced, like, you know, me and my two younger sisters knew that, but it didn't come to that. So it was kind of not a very healthy relationship. My mom also was considerably younger. I think she was about 13 years younger than my dad. And she kind of looked up to him and let him manage a lot like their social life. You know, she was on a certain level, a little bit childlike. She was Mm -hmm. not very emotionally mature at all. But she was loving and she did maintain the house and she did work, you know. So 
it's like, you know, the normal children things did get done, but, but there was definitely a lack and it was not a very good role model. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of the things, you know, when, when we all have, you know, homes like that, a lot of us vow that we're not going to continue this. We're not going to hit our kids. We're not going to have a home like that. So in my first marriage, I vowed that I was not going to do what my dad did. So what ended up happening is if something bothered me, I wouldn't like start yelling about it. I would hold it in and hold it in and hold it in. And then eventually I would explode like a volcano. And after I did that a, a few times, I realized, oh my God, I'm just like my dad. You know, and I was trying not to be like my dad, which made me end up being just like my dad. So yeah. it was like, okay, this is not working. <laughs> yeah. And we just don't have the tools, do we? Like we, right. I mean, we're, we're shown that oh, we, you grow up and you get married, you have your kids and it all kind of goes pretty well. Like we don't, we don't have the tools or we haven't in the past had the tools to do it a different way, even though we want to, because consciously what we want to do and and what we subconsciously, unconsciously do is quite a different thing. What what do you think, Mark, are the main behaviours that tend to show up for people in relationships from trauma? Well, the biggest thing is triggering. Mm. You know what? Once once you're you know out of your childhood home, you know you're eighteen, twenty, or whatever. Basically, almost everything that's going on in your life is a reaction to something incomplete from your childhood. Almost everything. So we go into all those future relationships, and our spouse or lover, whoever you know, says something or does something and reminds us of what happened back in the past that mom did or dad did. And bam, we're in a fight with our significant other. And that's the biggest problem, I'd say, in relationships. It's like, as you mentioned, you have to clear all that stuff out so you can really be present in a current relationship. And as you said, it's like, if you don't have the tools, we're just kind of foundering around and relationships are not going to work if you've got significant trauma, like both of us did. And in fact, one of the things that we both admitted is we're going on like nine years together now, married for eight. And we each did about 20, 25 years worth of transformational work, emotional healing, trauma clearing, you name it, we did it. And, you know, we acknowledged to each other that had we met earlier in our life and had not learned these tools we would have killed each other (laughs) because man, you know, I could cut somebody to pieces, you know, with my verbal criticisms and Lynetta too, you know? So it's like, thank God we didn't meet until later in life. Mm. Once we had really mastered these tools, because now our relationship is off the charts. Amazing. Mm -hmm. But only because we've got these tools under our belt and we use them every day, every day. Yeah, amazing, amazing. And congratulations for doing so much work. I mean, it's not easy and you don't even know where it's going to take you. You're there doing it and and you've ended up in a beautiful, beautiful space. Lynetta, what do you believe is the fastest, easiest and least painful way to heal trauma? I think first you do need to be in a safe place. You've got to have a safe place before you start even, even before you start that work. Mm. Because if you're in a place where you're still getting abused, it can be really dangerous to open that up. Mm. Because what, what you really want to start doing is getting to whatever memories that are coming up, you want to go back to those and reparent yourself through them. But you need to have somebody who can give you an example of how to reparent if you don't have a clue how to do that. So working with someone, I'm finding that either somatic therapist or EMDR or brain spotting is a good way to get access to 
what's in the subconscious, the memories that have been suppressed. And then you go back into that memory and reparent yourself through, and you have a safe place that you bring those younger parts home to. And I'm still doing that inner work. But I do think if you've had a significant amount of trauma, it is very helpful to have either a therapist or a counselor or a coach that can handle trauma they're experienced mm. with, with trauma. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We have a process where we first identify whatever the whatever the limitation or the block or trauma is, you first have to find what is it exactly is the problem, what's getting in the way. And then once you've identified it, then we help you clear it. And then we clarify what you want going forward. And then we help you manifest. We help you manifest that new life that you want to create. Mm, that sounds so good. So how did you guys meet each other? Well, I'm going to back up to what led to our meeting, mm-hmm. which is I was married for about 21 years. And then I called that marriage complete because my former wife, she obviously had trauma as a child that she was not conscious of because she was morbidly obese which I thought, you know, she'd eventually figure out over the course of the marriage, but she never did. And eventually she started blaming me for everything she didn't like about her life. She actually became one of those hoarders, like you'll see on the TV shows, literally filled rooms in our house with stuff, you know, so you couldn't even get in the room. And she was just blaming me for everything. She was unhappy until I finally said, we're done. And I had a couple of relationships after that, about a year and a half each. And one of them also, she didn't own all her stuff. And when that one was ending, I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, you know, you're a great catch. And if it's not this woman, it will be someone even better. And it's going to be somebody who is loving and powerful. Now, all of my relationships, they were loving to an extent, but what I meant by powerful was somebody who was willing to own their stuff and not point the finger when they got triggered. And to be honest, I didn't know what that would look like because I had never seen it. Certainly didn't have that role model. None of my relationships were that. And I I didn't have any models, but I just declared to the world, this is what I'm going to have. And then it was a few years later when I finally met Lynetta, we were going to a series of workshops from something called the Human Awareness Institute. They do workshops on communication, sensuality, spirituality, sexuality. And they have like nine, I think maybe now they have 10 different weekend workshops that build on each other. And we actually met at the third level weekend, we had a mutual friend who introduced us both. And, you know, we chatted just a bit at that time. And then we did some workshop exercises together. And then we really connected and even saw a possible future together. So that's kind of, so we met at a workshop on how to do relationships, if you will. So it was really kind of ideal. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. And so How long do you think it took you to realize that you were soulmates? So when I first met Lynetta at the workshop, now people come from all over the world to these workshops. It was in Northern California, though they do do them all over, including Australia, I believe. And it turned out 
Lynetta lived about 20 minutes from where I did in the Santa Cruz mountains. You know, when I first got interested, I was like, I'm probably going to find out she lives in Australia or somewhere. <laughs> but it turned out she only lived 20 minutes away from where I was. So when we both got back, we started seeing each other just about once a week. And it wasn't like, you know, fast and furious. Um, and in fact, we were also seeing other people at the same time. But then after two months, Lynetta's housing situation, she was supposed to move from one place to another. And then last moment, it just fell apart. So I said to her, you know, why don't you just come live with me until your housing situation gets straightened out? So she checked in. She did some muscle testing, if you know what that is, to see. She had like three options for where to live. And she checked and she checked with one of her girlfriends and and it turned out my offer was the best of the three. <laughs> so she moved in and it was literally just spur of the moment. And within two weeks of of living together, we really got where we're supposed to be together. It mm -hmm. was just like, wow. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. How beautiful. I love that. And when you look back, it sort of feels like it's all meant to be, right? I mean you sort of meet at a conference about, which is about relationships. You live 20 minutes apart. Like it, it's all sort of. You know, I could say yes, but I'm going to mm. give you a little more information because I had to make it to be, if you will. And I'll just give you a little more information. So we did a couple mini exercises together at this workshop. And then they said, okay, we're going to do a significant exercise. We're going to get to really, get to know somebody you know so make a good choice for who you want to get to know and there were about 80 people in this workshop and they put us in a big circle around the room and they said okay go find a partner for this next exercise so I looked across the room and I'd done a couple things with Lynetta and I so I was a little interested and I looked at her and she's all the way opposite me and she's kind of like looking to her right looking to her left and she has a couple girlfriends around her and they're like winking at each other like, yeah, maybe I'll do it with you. Maybe I'll do it with you. And I watched this for like five seconds from across the room. And when I saw nobody move, I just said to myself, you know what? Just go for it. So I literally stormed across the room, went up to her, practically poked her in the chest and said, you, I want to do this exercise with you. Now, I want you to know I had never been that bold in my entire life to just totally go for it. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I left out is this was a clothing optional workshop. So I was totally naked when I did it. Oh my goodness. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> serious? Yeah, we were, I was naked. So I was, so I was all out there, so to speak. Wow. And so I've never even heard of a workshop where clothing is optional. That's what is that about? So many times when we see people in their clothes and in their jewelry, we make an assessment about who they are. And then we put them in a category. And then, you know, you might want to just associate with only those who are look like they might be in your category. So and also we make judgments about body size. You know, and so what they do is they take off the, the, the facilitators, there's usually two of them, they'll take off their clothes first and they'll say that now this is optional, you don't have to do this, but the reason why we do this is so that there is no clothing that separates us. And there's, it doesn't matter what size, because some of them are pretty over, mm -hmm. overweight and they're like, size does not matter. The main thing that they bring up first of all is Michelangelo that statue where he chips away and finds the angel that's underneath and they asked him how how do you do that and he said well I saw the angel that was in there I just chipped away that everything that was not the angel mm. and so that's what they're doing when they take off the clothing is they're saying that the angel is there and well we're taking off a layer so we can see the angel that's underneath and we don't make judgments about each other we're trying to even the playing field so that everybody gets that we're all equal we're all beautiful inside it doesn't matter what our body weight looks like and after a while you don't even notice when wow. you're 
you don't even notice that you're naked anymore, you know, mm -hmm. and also it promotes being naked on the inside for us to be authentic, be transparent, share all of what's internal. And that's the most important part is the being authentic and transparent and, and sharing naked from the inside. Wow. Yeah. And I love just, that. And just to elaborate just a bit, you know, so many of, especially in Western cultures, have body dysmorphia. We're, we're just not happy with our bodies. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't matter what you look like. You could be gorgeous, you know, look like a model. And then you've got like, you know, this much fat on your belly. And you're like, oh, my God, I can't stand this. Yeah. You know, it, do it doesn't matter what anybody's like. In Western society, almost to the T, everybody has some dissatisfaction on their bodies. So yeah. one of the points to being naked was to really get people to release all those judgments, as Lynetta said. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it does work. It really does work. Yeah. Mm, I love that, actually. I mean, it's absolutely true. We do judge people yeah, for everything, pretty much. You know, when we look at someone, it's like everybody's sizing them up and ticking the mm -hmm. boxes. And yeah, I love, yeah. I, I really love that idea so much and so Lynetta what do you think's been your biggest challenge as a couple if we can get a little a little intimate <laughs> can I share something intimate here sure so the biggest challenge has been our in our life in the bedroom actually I was used to being in performance I always was trained since I was little that I am here to serve the man and I'm here to make sure that he has his pleasure and that's my main role. So I would, when we first got together, I was doing everything in my power to pleasure Mark. And he said, I don't want that. I don't want your performance. And I was like, I didn't even know what he was talking about. I never called it performance. I didn't know it, it was a performance. It was just the way it was, right? Mm. And, and so I cried. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I don't know how to be that. So I'm just going to take a sabbatical for a while and look internal and see what is it you're talking about and try to find out what, what he meant by me being my authentic self. Mm. And it's taken me, we've been together nine years and this whole time we've had off and on the big challenge in the bedroom and I'm so different from what he's used to I and mean, it's like we we both don't know what to do even though we love each other deeply mm. that's not the issue it's just how how do we come together in that domain that's mm. been our our greatest challenge mm -hmm. yeah interesting and so many levels of learning there about yourself and your past, it all just comes into everything, doesn't it? It's so clear. And so, Lynetta, what do you what do you think it means to be someone's soulmate? What is the key part to that? For me, it's a spiritual connection. I didn't have that in prior relationships. When I found out that Mark had been studying near-death experiences. And even what happens in between lives. I don't know if you've heard past life regression, mm -hmm. but they've had Michael Newton has done some deeper research and found out that when he was doing past life regression work with people and he took them deeper, they were sharing their experiences of in between lives, what was happening in the other realm. Wow. And I was reading near-death experiences from mainly Anita Marjani. She has a book, Dying to Be Me. And I read that book and I was like, oh, that sounds like what's true. There's only love. There's no book of judgment. You know, there's no keeping track of when I'm naughty and nice, like, <laughs> like Santa Claus, you know. <laughs> and there's only this blissful feeling of total love. So that felt so good to me. And he had that too. So to me, like soulmate means that spiritual connection that you have. Because um, when you have a spiritual connection with your partner, it's deeper than just a physical attraction, which is what I was used to. If I had a physical attraction to him, I'd go get him. He was my man. And usually I went after the man. 
you know but mark he came after me and then i found out we had all of these common modalities all this energy work we had done transformation work we had found a spirituality that works for us and it just all matched we we were a spiritual match and to me that is more important than just the physical attraction and the all the chemistry that happens with that you know it's like this is a deeper soul level connection mm. i mean you you can't you can't create that with someone you've got to find that person is that right when you say about finding your soulmate it's about finding the person that you connect with in that way it's not something that you can create really i would say you actually can create it in mm -hmm. other words we would say yes there are actual soulmates and we have been together in past lives like this is not our first time together so when you feel that connection with somebody that often means yeah you've been with them before and that's what you're feeling and that's why sometimes it could be really torturous because you have unresolved stuff from before <laughs> but the way we use soulmate level relationship is there are tools that Let's say you're meeting somebody and you've never been with them in a past life. You could create the most amazing relationship ever using the tools that we use. And we would call that creating a soulmate level relationship. So we do believe people can create it. You don't have to just find it. Okay. So, so what are the steps to manifesting a soulmate? Well, the first step would be to add, you know, just like you started this podcast, you have to clear out all the stuff from your past. So yeah, you have to do some digging, or as Lynette would say, do the work, the mm -hmm. title of her book. Mm -hmm. You have to, and it does, and it doesn't have to be super painful. That's one of the big misconceptions, which is why most people don't do this work. You can briefly touch upon things, and there's so many good techniques that you can just clear it, bam, 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 bam. So you have to really dig into your past, clear out that stuff. And the way you know it's clear is either you're in a situation similar to something from childhood and you don't get triggered. It's like, oh, yeah, they spoke to me. They you know, looked down on me, you know, and spoke to me, you know, in a demeaning way. And I was like, yeah, whatever, you know, as opposed to, oh, my God, how could they do that? You know, that's mm -hmm. how you know when you've actually cleared it. You don't have that emotional reaction. Now, what we also do, though, is we literally go through all the major relationships in somebody's life. So usually parents and maybe some previous love relationships, depending on how old the people are. And we use that as a tool. And what we ask, first of all, is, so what did you like in that relationship? And there's always, you know, no matter how horrible something is, there's always some good stuff. So they write down what they did like. Then we ask, okay, and what didn't you like? Oh, well, they were mean. They spoke disrespectfully to me. Maybe they hit me, whatever. You know, so we, so we make a list of everything they didn't like. Then here's the key thing that most people don't do. We use that to determine what that person wants in their next relationship. So if they spoke in a disrespectful way, then we would say, oh, so you want your next relationship to be honoring and kind in the way they talk to you or treat you. So we literally make the do want list from their past didn't like list. That's like mm -hmm. essential. You know, you know, you, you hear people talking about making their lists. So yeah, we make the list based on the past and using it to determine what they want in their future relationship. Or if they're in a relationship that's not totally working, we bring all that out so we can really bring it to that soulmate level if they are willing to do that work. Then once you've decided what you want, then we have to deal with the blocks that will come up. So there may be limiting beliefs like, oh, all the good ones are chosen already. I don't deserve it. I can't have it. It's not going to happen. God's punishing me, whatever. Like we clear all the limiting beliefs and we have people make declarations. This is what I'm going to have. And then there's, you know, secondaries that come up, you know, well, who are you to do that? Or, you know, 
it's not going to happen. And we deal with all those secondaries so that they can just make a firm statement of what they're going to have. And we have them feel into it, you know, feel what that feels like to be with someone who's honoring and loving and tender, you know, speaks to you, cares how you're feeling, what's important to you. So we have them literally create that to help manifest it. And then bam, things happen. I mean, we've had people we've worked with who, when we started working with them, they were in a less than ideal relationship. They broke up. And before we even finished working with them, they found their mate who they actually ended up marrying sometimes within like 12 weeks. Mm, Yeah. And I guess it's a bit about not going to the thing that is comfortable, right? I mean, like we were talking about before, we get drawn back towards those same relationships, those same people. And that's, it's a hard one to overcome. Yeah. if If you keep attracting the same wrong relationships, which are often like mom or dad were, then you've got some work to do because you're just going to keep doing it. And if you do get a relationship, it's not likely to work. It's it's natural for us to want to recreate our mother-father in our new relationship because we want to make it work this time. But what we don't realize is to make it work, both parties need to be willing to dive internally and see what's creating the discord between you. Mm. And there has to be a willingness on the behalf of both partners Mm -hmm. to do that work. Yeah. You can't just have one partner doing Mm -hmm. all the work and the other person just hoping to (laughs) tag along. (laughs) (laughs) That's not going to work. And so how important are love languages in relationships? Oh, have you read the five loves, love languages. <laughs> yes, I have looked yeah. into it yeah. before. Yeah. Good, good. So, yeah, it's really important that you know what those are because you could be, each one of you have your own love language, like uh, let's say mine is quality time and Mark's is physical t- touch. Physical touch. And if I, I'm like, well, let's spend some quality time together and we're sitting and having a nice meal together and that's my ideal of quality time. But he could be inside going, gee, I really would love if we would just snuggle and, you know, be touched. And yet I think that I'm giving him the best love that I have, which is the quality time. Mm. And he's- And I'm giving her touch. Yeah. And she's not getting that. It really means I love her because she wants words, for example, is one of her love languages. Yeah. Yeah. So then you could be missing each other and going, wow, he doesn't really love me because he doesn't give it to me. But if you're not aware that everybody has their own love language, then you don't know. And you could actually be giving each other the best love that you have and not feeling it. Yeah. I love that. And I think I'm a bit like you, Lynetta. I love time and words too they're so important to me and it's it's interesting to find those things out even about yourself because sometimes we don't even until we look into it we don't even know what's important to us we don't Mm -hmm. understand that so it's definitely something for people to look into it's a little more nuanced than just learning the five love languages because touch for me is soft touch but for Lynetta the only touch that really works is like firm touch Mm -hmm. so i actually had to learn to give her her kind of touch and she had to learn to give me my kind of touch so even though you know the love languages were there the same if we didn't learn how in particular it wouldn't have worked Mm. you're both obviously very good communicators i mean that's something that a lot of people will stumble over i think as well because even if one person's a good communicator and the other one isn't this stuff is is all about communicating everything mm-hmm. isn't it yeah i i looked at studies about why women get relationship coaching or counseling mm-hmm. and the top reason is not being able to communicate yeah. they don't feel seen or heard or mm-hmm. understood and that's causing the biggest rift in the relationship 
Yeah. And especially in Western society, a lot of us men in particular were not taught to communicate. You know, we were taught the macho, hold your feelings in, don't say what's really going on, just be the silent, you know, breadwinner, protector type, you know, and deal with it. Yeah. That's kind yeah. of what a lot of us were taught, you know, in the day. Toughen so, up. yeah. Toughen yeah. up. Toughen that up. Yeah. pretty much it, right? Mm. Don't be soft. Don't be a wimp. Yep. Yeah. Be a man. Be a man. Be Hold a man. it all in. Hold it all in until you completely yeah. break down. And yeah. Yeah. Don't yeah. be a sissy. Yeah. 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 I'll share you one, one interesting insight, though. In my Jewish training, one of the highest compliments you can give a Jewish man is to call him a mensch. Now, mensch is actually a Yiddish word, not Hebrew. But a mensch is somebody who's like kind and considerate and looking out for other people. So interestingly enough, the Jewish way of calling somebody a man is totally different from, let's say, the American or maybe the Latin be a man. Mm. Totally different context. Yeah, I think some of those things are changing, but there's a long way to go. Long yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. So you guys now help couples who've been through trauma to find a joyous relationship mm-hmm. with another person, with somebody that maybe they're already with, I guess. Or have, not. Or yeah. not. Sometimes people want it and they need to clear the stuff so they can then go after it. Yeah. yeah. And so Both. you you have some wonderful offerings helping people to clear their trauma, find their soulmate. What do you want us to know about what you're offering? So there's a couple of websites people could go to. Our primary website is the soulmatecoaches.com. Mm-hmm. And on there, the easiest way to get started would be to have a 20-minute conversation with us. So they can just schedule a 20-minute, we call it a breakthrough call, where you know we could just chat a little bit about what's going on in their life, what they'd like, and what's in the way. And then we might have some suggestions about ways for us to move forward if we feel like we're all a match. And we create a custom coaching program that will you know, get them to where they want to go. The second page we have is there's one of the methods that we use is called the Gottman method. Gottmans are a therapy couple. They've both been doing therapy for like 40 years, and they've done a ton of research on what has couples work or not work. And they created this curriculum called the Gottman Method. And it's particularly good for people who have trauma in their background. So what we'll do is, so we have a a webpage called thegottmanmethod.com. And if you go there, you can also do a 20-minute discovery call to get going. But if somebody's a match for that, then what happens is they will do an assessment. There's actually a separate assessment that each individual does that comes to us. And literally, it'll tell us these are the problem areas in their relationship. These areas, not a problem. And then it recommends particular exercises they can do. So there are videos they can watch. PDFs. PDFs. An app with card games. Yeah. So there's a lot of exercises they can do on their own time. And then typically we'll also do like a once a week coaching session with them to deal with whatever issues are coming up that are not resolved using that. So the GottmanMethod.com is another place they can go to if they're particularly interested in a curriculum that will identify the problems and enable them to work independently as well as get some coaching. Sounds incredible. And Lynetta, you've written a book called Do the Work, Five Steps to Transcend Trauma. Who should buy your book? If you've experienced childhood trauma and you would like to transcend it and you need some tools that are going to help you do that, it also has, there is an app that goes along with it that'll show you how to do the exercises So if you go to Amazon and you put in do the work, Lynetta Avery, it'll come up Mm -hmm. and in the book, it tells you how to get the app. And then from there, if you want some help, I can help them along the process of doing the exercises and we'll help them heal from that. Yeah. And one of the most important things about this, one of the five steps is to identify the trauma 
And the second step is actually to identify the impact of the trauma. And this is what most people skip. You know, a lot of people, you know, they know they had challenges and they're just like, I don't want to go there. Don't want to talk about it. Don't want to remember it. Just like, don't want to go there. But the problem is the impact will stay with you. You can't just push it away, pretend it's not there. It's going to affect every aspect of your life, relationships, money, ability to sleep, weight, you name it. So one thing that Lynetta did in each chapter, she briefly mentioned the trauma and then literally showed how the impact stayed with her throughout her life, sometimes almost to the current day, until she dealt with the trauma. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, so important to really get it's not going to go away on its own. And once you really get the impact, you start to see, oh my gosh, can I I don't I can't live with this another five, 10, 20 years. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. when you you hit your bottom and you're like, no more. It has to stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like such an important book. I will put the link to the book and to the websites that you mentioned in the show notes. So if this has resonated with you today and you're struggling in your relationships, please go and check out Lynetta and Mark's offerings, their website and their book. Lynetta and Mark, I love everything that you're doing so much. I love the deep joy that you guys have as a couple. It's definitely something to aspire to. (laughs) And I love that you've taken the thing that you've both struggled with and you're now shining a light to help other people mm-hmm. to thrive. It's it's really beautiful work. So thank you so much for connecting with me today. Oh, Absolutely. Dawn, this has been phenomenal. Yeah. We're so glad you've been doing this for, you know, over a hundred podcasts already. You're a real gift to the world that you're bringing light to this and really helping people move through it and past it. So yeah. thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Thank you.